and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. This week, we're discussing motherhood and identity. We'll be joined by Candice Brathwaite, author of I Am Not Your Baby Mother, and Kate Everall, who runs the same-sex family blog, Lesby Mums. You're listening to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And if you want to join the conversation, the hashtag is A-I-M-Y-U. The thing about motherhood is that it's um, a permanent state of being. I'm the same person, but it's like a new lens descended through which I have to look. So everything is the same, but tinted. The way I work, celebrate, love is coloured slightly differently. It's in my body too, I think, because it's not entirely mine anymore. That might not be permanent, but while the children are small, they need to cling and on a hot night when they're sad and hot and tetchy, the edges of you and the edges of them blur. Maybe that is permanent. I don't know. The thing I wish I'd known is that there's a lot of pressure with being a parent. There's a lot of pressure on yourself. There's a lot of outward pressure from working. There's a lot of outward pressure from other mothers who see you and and think you should be doing things differently. And the one thing I would say is that you have to be able to compartmentalise what's important and what's not. That only comes from experience. And that's the hardest part of being a mum, is is how things change. Your identity changes and how relationships change. And it's really hard to get your head around, but it happens and you have to. So first, I think, considering we're talking about motherhood, we need to front up the fact that neither Rachel nor I are mothers. But we are at an age where a lot of our friends are becoming mothers and learning indirectly how all-consuming it can be. Although I have been warned by a lot of my mum friends that you never know quite what it is to be a mum until you are suddenly a mum. What is really interesting is to hear about, I guess, how they're navigating the many expectations and pressures Yeah, I've heard that a lot from friends as well. I think we've got a few mums now, but for quite a while there was just one person who was a mum by themselves and no one else was. And I think that's quite a hard thing to deal with. And she was kind of saying, you know, you don't want to be that person who says, oh, you don't really understand because you're not a mum. Because on the one hand, that can be quite irritating to us non-mums. But actually, the reality is we don't understand because we're not mums. And I think... As a non-parent, it is super helpful and just insightful to have these conversations because it helps you help your pals, but it also helps you make decisions about your own life as well later down the line. And if you don't talk about it as a non-parent, literally you have even less idea about what it's going to be like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think even more so in lockdown that I've become just so much more like aware of of children because how many um, video chat meetings have we had where like suddenly like one of our colleagues kids just like legs it into the room and like starts like clambering all over their mum or dad and they're trying to kind of have a conversation with their colleagues for someone who is not a parent to see kind of a window into like literally via my screen into what my friends and colleagues homes are like 
with their children is just really eye-opening. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the colleagues. One of our, one of the things one of our colleagues said that's really stuck with me, so she's a mum, and we were talking about how bizarrely we're really missing commuting at the moment. And she said that when I'm at home, I'm mum. When I'm at work, I'm a manager, I'm a professional self, and commuting that hour on a train is the only time she just gets to be me. She was like, in terms of like identity, she was just like, without that hour, there is no me time. Mm. There is no answering texts to my friends, plugging into a podcast without interruptions, any of that stuff. And it just really highlighted for me how... I think we all wear so many hats anyway, like ourselves with our friends, ourselves with our parents, ourselves at work. Mm. But then if you're a mum, it's like a whole other hat that you have to put on that really you, you can't take off once it's on there. <laughs> it's there's like a no, bonnet there's no change tied under your yeah. chin. <laughs> Locked down. <laughs> yeah. um, also, I think it's so important that we, when we're talking about motherhood, that we make sure that we are including like a diverse range of voices in that conversation. Because my experience and a kind of indirect experience all of the mothers I'm I'm talking about are white middle class straight women and their experience of motherhood is not the motherhood that every woman experiences Mm. and it's so important to make sure that we're including all women in this conversation yeah definitely and I think if either of us are ever mums we don't know what type of mums even though I hate the word type but we don't know like what type of mums we will be and therefore like the more voices you hear the better definitely When my second child was born, I was diagnosed with postnatal anxiety. I visited my GP and got cognitive behavioural therapy as a result. This helped me realise that I had probably suffered from this after the birth of my first child, but I'd also lived with low-level anxiety without really realising. I'd coped with my anxiety by sort of withdrawing from the world and thought that this was kind of normal. But once I had small children, that wasn't really possible. So becoming a mother changed my outlook on my own mental health completely, and I've had to develop new strategies to cope with anxiety when it does kick in. I'd been a mother for 40 years when I lost both of my children some five years apart, after a decade of supporting them through physical and mental illness. My grief was compounded by profound sense of loss of identity. I didn't know who I was anymore, what my life was about. How could I be a mother when I no longer had children? How could I not be a mother when I'd given birth and raised two sons? I'd become an oxymoron, a childless parent. I wish someone had warned me about that massive transition from having to give almost our entire lives and energy to care for our tiny newborn baby and being the very centre of their world for so long, to being a mum of a teenager where you are lucky if you actually feature in their world at all, to that huge sense of loss and grief and bewilderment mixed in with pride but that massive loss when they finally leave home. It's a massive shift. Today we're joined by Candice Brathwaite, the author of I Am Not Your Baby Mother and the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, an initiative described as an act of inclusion. We're also joined by Kate Everall, who runs award-winning blog Lesby Mums, writing about life as a two-mum family. 
Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Uh, We're really, really excited to have you both on the show. And we thought we'd kick things off with the mother of all questions, to excuse the pun. Did you always know that you wanted to be mums? Maybe let's start with Candice first. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mum? Oh, no, completely not. I think the opposite. I always thought I I didn't want to be a mum. I'm the eldest to three siblings and my mum was a single parent and there are seven years between each of us and I always felt like I had to lose a lot of my childhood to being a mum to them and so having children of my own was never in the picture for me. And you're um, you're really open about that in your book like in the first chapter you say I knew I, I didn't always want to be a mum and you shared your experience of before you were a mum now to your two children you were pregnant in the past and decided mm. it wasn't the right time yeah so was that hard to talk about because we don't often hear a lot about mums talking about abortion or just talking about their pre-mum lives really in the mum community I don't think it was hard for me but I think that's because even online I just present as a naturally open book I appreciate for many who present online especially in the parenting space they feel they have to be glossy and this cookie cutter type parent not me mate I'm just a black girl (laughs) from South London so (laughs) even trying to be cookie cutter would be really silly so in some ways that is my privilege I don't have to fit in because I never even would and so it didn't it didn't feel difficult being honest about that at all yeah I love that that's really great god I love that so much (laughs) Kate how about you did you always want to be a mum no not really at all if I was quite the opposite if my colleagues would bring a baby into the office I would sort of go But if they brought their dog into the office or a puppy, I'd be like, oh, puppies. And I wasn't maternal. Nothing went ping, ping, ping when I saw a baby. But it's when I think I'd been with my wife for a number of years that suddenly I just got a bit, I don't know, something happened where I just sort of started yearning for to, to, I don't know, expand my family. I and mean, we had a dog, we had cats. We pretty much ticked everything off, even an aquarium. And I thought, you know what, let's let's do something a bit different, um, which is an understatement sort of <laughs> for two mums. Um, and we just sort of just started to go with it. And, it. and then, and obviously when you're with in a same-sex relationship, you sort of obviously have to have the discussion over who would carry and things like that. But I was pretty keen on doing it myself from the start anyway obviously if Sharon had a bigger urge to do it then obviously I would have let her go first so to speak but I was quite happy to be the to sort of go first with it. Thank you for sharing that obviously we're talking about identity so was there a moment after becoming mothers that you really kind of started to identify with the notion of motherhood? My one moment was I got really sick after having Esme my first kid and I had to stay in intensive care while she went home with my mum. Looking back, it was just this energy of me not even caring about my own health. I was just like, this overwhelming urgency of needing to see my kid. Is my kid all right? Is my kid... And even, like, the surgeons and everyone looking after me was like, no, actually, you have to be the focus now. If not, your kid doesn't get a mum. I think that moment was really powerful because even when she was born, I didn't have that immediate rush of oxytocin or whatever you have for your kids. It just didn't... It took a while, but it's not until there was even the idea that maybe four days off, 
I can't see her, I can't feed her. The panic that came over me, I think that's when I was like, oh, you're really a mum now. This is what they describe as that need to just like always protect them, which Mm -hmm. I have to say doesn't come naturally to everyone Mm -hmm. because even my relationship with my mum, she's definitely not that way with me. So it's really important to note that not everyone has that feeling. So I also don't want people to think, oh, I've never felt that. Am I not a mum? That's just what it was for me. We also wanted to talk to you about health inequality today because we know that it's something that you've talked about a lot in the past, particularly Candice, in terms of being a black mother. Black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth. It's a huge part of black motherhood. Is this something that you, this might be quite ignorant of me to ask, but I'm going to ask it because I think a lot of listeners will want to ask the same. Is this something that you grew up knowing or something that you suddenly learn when you're a black woman who is pregnant? Oh, you definitely suddenly learn it. I had Mm. no concept of that data and the data didn't publicly become available to the end of 2018 anyway. So even though I think we know as a group of people that there is unconscious bias towards us in many spaces, uh, you know, it's always one of those things where you have to come with the data. And so when the data became available, it was like, oh, now we have the numbers to back up what we already intrinsically feel but yeah. couldn't get our point across because no one in parliament wants to hear that you feel like something bad is being done to you and I think what's even you know especially now in in this space we're in with this pandemic we're seeing the same data with the amount of deaths in regards to mm. baying people and there's nothing positive about this but it really is bringing some things into the forefront America have been very ahead of the UK in a Admitting the discrepancies in healthcare when it comes to black pregnant women. Beyonce and Serena Williams' birth experience shows us that money doesn't change anything. Yeah, absolutely. You could still be on your deathbed as a millionaire slash billionaire and you be written off. My advice that I would give to um, any parent, um, particularly mothers, is to trust your instinct. You do build an instinct as to what is right and what is the best decision or the best needs for your child. There's so much conflicting advice and information out there. So I would say trust your instinct. Know when you have to fight for your child and know that you as the parent know your child best. So Brogan and I aren't mums, but we've got more and more friends who are becoming them. So we're kind of fascinated by watching them from afar, sort of their identities change and the way that they talk and operate change, but they're still at the core of the same person. I feel like with my group of friends, there's such a split between... One of my friends always makes jokes that she forgets that she's a mum on a regular basis. She's like, shit, where's the baby? Like, <laughs> she's like that kind of person. I think mean, that would be me. I'm so yeah. sad. Or then... I've got another friend who's like, I feel like a different person. It's consumed me so much. So it's kind of like two ends of the scale. For you two, how has motherhood impacted your own sense of self? Like, does any of that resonate with you? 
For me, absolutely. I don't often see myself represented in society, so I found it very difficult to try and fit in. Um, and certainly when, you know, as well as a mother, I'm a woman and I'm a gay woman. So I'm trying to balance those sort of different parts of my identity together. And I felt when I became a mother that as soon as I became a mother, I couldn't not identify, you know, as a lesbian, but certainly I couldn't do the things that were important to me because suddenly I became a mother and that was a priority. But actually, mm. you can be all of that all at one time. And if anything... Sometimes some things will improve other parts of you. I feel as as my son has, has got older, he's made my activism for, you know, gay rights a lot stronger because actually I'm seeing the effects of the inequalities on him. You know, he's not represented in the media, in, in children's books. So actually by becoming a mother, I've seen things that still need to be done in society. Whereas before I had a very... Um, almost rudimentary sort of outlook on what was needed but actually since having him I've been able to improve on that and other things if that makes sense for me I don't I I really see my motherhood and me really separate um my friends always say I've got two lanes like mobile or mum lockdown has totally done a number on me mum wise like I'm obsessed with ironing bed linen and just the most (laughs) random stuff but before (laughs) lockdown it was always like right business money what's the next Mm. deal oh yeah don't forget to pick up the kids and that's not Mm -hmm. to say they weren't a priority I'm just really focused on making my life as rich as possible in all the ways that mean outside Mm. of my kids because I totally get that they're going to turn 21 and not give a damn about me and I never want to be some like yearning empty nester just moping around Mm. I want to have a full life where it's like when they go you know a FaceTime a day is enough for all of us it's not me going what do I do now I've seen so many great women pause their lives for their kids and not Mm. expecting anything in return but then when the time comes when their kids rightfully want to be adults they're really annoyed about it and that is like my worst nightmare I love you talking about building up yourself so that you're there when your kids leave home. But I also Mm. think that that will be such an inspiration to your kids as well. Like hearing you talk, it reminds me a lot of my own mum, who was a single mum for a chunk of my childhood. And she was a working mum. She kind of taught me all these values and was super strong and had her own thing going on. And Mm. actually, it like shapes the identity of your kids in like quite a positive way, I think, as well. Yeah, my mum was a single mum as well. And she did exactly that she reminds me of how she treated me she was full-time nurse and mm. I looked after by my nan and when I said so when I was ready uh, to move out the nest she was like not so much see ya but very much <laughs> oh, you know go for it you know go for it she wasn't sort yeah. of you can move but you got to keep this bit of rope around your, your way she was almost booting me out like you know her job was complete and it felt amazing so I didn't feel I felt willing to come back rather than reluctantly to come back it's so interesting it makes me think of the kind of women can have it all can they can I have it all like debate which I feel like we definitely need to move on from so do you think that are you free to be that person or have you ever felt a kind of judgment about that kind of dualness of your life yeah. I feel like they're obviously connected as you said but that is such a big priority to you is that always received well no I speak about it a bit in my book but I was raised by my granddad my granddad got mugged and was left blind in one eye so he had to quit work and then my nan worked full-time and paid the mortgage And so from the time I could remember, men washed up, 
men ironed, men put ribbons in your hair, they picked you up after school. And for some reason, that very much reflects the relationship I'm in now. My other half doesn't even blink at doing things that would be classified as the feminine roles. But he is from a Nigerian heritage who see this happening and a lot of their minds are blown. You know, when his dad first saw him change a nappy, the house just felt so silent, like whoa <laughs> what is going on whilst I was like bye see you gotta to go to a meeting I'm never offended by those kind of looks and judgments I'm quite happy about them because it shows that I'm trying to push the needle along and also this isn't to say that that flow will always be that way when I first quit my job in publishing I was a stay-at-home mum I made next to no money. And so I took on the more feminine duties. And who knows what will happen in 20 years. It could shift again. He might want to go and start a business. And so, yeah, I try not to pay attention to it, to be honest. Mm. I love that idea of how life and there's like the shifting roles and you don't know and things aren't fixed. Is that something that you kind of believe in as well, Kate? Oh, absolutely. Being like two mums, people we speak to are naturally very curious as to whether we naturally fall into those gender roles. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was birth mum, they automatically assume that I'm going to be the one that cooks and cleans. And although naturally I do a lot of the cooking because that's just how my shifts fall, but we share the cooking, we share the cleaning and we don't even have to discuss it. it just naturally falls up. We just do it. Um, and so our son just doesn't see those sort of, well, you gave birth to me which and your mum, which means you've got to do that sort of you know in quote speak feminine bit and my mm. my mama is obviously not the birth parent so she's obviously got to fall into the again speech marks or daddy roles and he just mm. doesn't see that and he's so alien to him we're quite lucky that we live in quite a diverse area so we, there isn't really that sort of the kids aren't in a heteronormative sort of outlook but it's still it's still very you sort of see the looks on people's faces sometimes when they're just dying to ask well, who's who's mummy and who's daddy mm. um and you're like why so, does it matter yeah there isn't one that <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> There's no daddy. Yeah. <laughs> there is no daddy. That's that sort of like lesson one. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting. We're going to come back to that conversation shortly, but here are some HuffPost listeners who have shared their experience. You can't be a working mother who goes to work for eight hours a day, comes home and collects the kids and makes their own yoghurt and puts their kids to sleep and they sleep just as you turn the light out, they softly go off to sleep. It doesn't happen. And I wish somebody had said, take your own pace. Don't listen to other people. Listen to yourself. Listen to your children. Listen to what needs to give in order for you to have that happy medium. I wish that other mothers would look at themselves and go, I'm doing a good job getting through the day and making sure my kids are happy and healthy and well-rounded. Don't think you can have it all because you can't. Everything in my entire life shifted. Some of it was beyond recognition. The rest of it was recognisable, but it was like I was coming from a completely different perspective. It literally was like I was born again. And now back to our conversation with Candice Brathway and Kate Everall. Both of you, um, Candice and Kate, um, set out to create spaces for mothers that feel more inclusive and representative um, of your own experiences and identities. Can you tell us a bit about why it was so important to you both to create those spaces and, and kind of start those conversations? 
I just wanted to create a space where motherhood was equal and everyone's story was valid. And then somewhere way down the line, it would be a hub where brands and businesses would turn to when they knew they were screwing up because they already were. And that's where the idea of Make Motherhood Diverse even came from. And it's been an absolute journey thus far because I can't lie opening up that space made me realise that I can be judgmental or biased. I was consciously only going on social media or looking in magazines, only looking for myself. I wasn't looking to see if same-sex parents were represented or mums with disabilities. I was just like, oh, no blackface, that's really annoying. And so now having a space like Make Motherhood Diverse, it makes me check myself, which maybe some people wouldn't admit, but it's been very, very eye-opening for me. So initially I started a blog just to document our conception journey because there wasn't anything out there in the UK. A lot of the blogs I followed were in Australia or America, but again, they had different healthcare systems. So I couldn't really relate. And a lot of the NHS spoke about was IVF. We didn't go via that route. So I wanted to document it just to be a resource for other people. But as it grew and as our community grew, I realised that there actually was quite a few families out there. And that's where it grew. We obviously connected via Instagram when it was still very much in the early days and we just documented everything and then when our son came along we documented you know the things we were doing places we were going books we were reading um, and over time we've just added to that and opened up discussions about you know LGBT teachings in school we've talked about uh, marriage equality and it's just grown and I honestly don't know what the plan is because it's still very much a hobby for me but it's, it's fun. So I love how you have both massively opened up this area and you've made all the conversations about different types of motherhood come to the forefront but then also it is really hard I think for a lot of mums to shake off those ideas of what motherhood is. Candice there was a bit in your book that I loved because it really it made me laugh but even though it had a very serious message behind it and you spoke about getting absolutely obsessed with a particular buggy which I've never heard of a bugaboo (laughs) which which I love how you said it's not just a Destiny's Child song and I was like hell yeah yeah, love that reference. Um, I'm a huge Destiny's Child fan. Um, so can you tell us about that? Because I think it's got a huge part to do with identity, right? The reason why you were so caught up in this idea that you needed a bugaboo. Tell us. Yeah, completely. Because I already realised that, you know, I'm, I'm a youngish black mum. I fell pregnant at 25. Just walking down the street pregnant, there was just always these spoken and unspoken judgments. And in my mind, very much like how, and I say this all the time I hate when young kids not just black but kids from working class spaces they always get ripped into because they want the latest trainers or all of that it's a it's a form of protection it's a form Mm. of presenting what you think the world wants to see and so locking in on that brand of pushchair I thought right I may get judged for all the other stuff but you cannot look at that pushchair and not think I don't have my stuff together which is Mm. so warped but those kind of things follow us throughout life so of course at the doors of motherhood you're just trying to present the best image of yourself yeah and you had like you really went above and beyond to get this push chair and like I joke about it but actually you had when I was reading the interaction that you so you managed to find one on Gumtree and when I read the interaction that you had with the woman who was selling that push chair I I could not believe it. 
Um, do you mind just summing that up and how that felt for anyone who hasn't picked up your book yet? Yeah, um, so I found it on Gumtree and my name is really non-racial. It's Candice Brathway. We turn up at this really, really nice road and then when she opens the door, number one, she thinks we're charity workers and she's like quickly mm-hmm. trying to shut the door hastily and then when she realises I've come to get the pushchair, she doesn't even take like the security latch off she just like whispers through the latch then closes the door to get the buggy and it's just like really trying to get us off the doorstep and I just thought this is so insane Uh, and it made me think oh you know um good thing you didn't know what I looked like because you might not have even sold the buggy to me it's important to remember that I might not have even been able to get it um so yeah that was just one of the ways that I tried to highlight the microaggressions that happen when you don't look like what the world says you should yeah especially when it comes to motherhood yeah that is that is a well I I say I guess I have the privilege of saying that's unbelievable but I'm sure for a lot of women it it is completely believable and expected like your book is incredible because like reading it as a white woman there are so many things in here that I just didn't even I would have never expected or anticipated and I guess that's what's so important about your work is that you are allowing other black women to feel seen and you are also making other people see you which is really important so thank you for that um Kate, in terms of this idealised version of motherhood, you mentioned earlier about how as as a masculine-looking woman, you didn't see yourself represented in typical pregnancy body. Um, Can you kind of talk to us a bit about that experience? Oh, my God, where do I start? It's, you know, when you fall pregnant, I mean, sat in, like I said, take a pregnancy test and you go to midwife's appointment and, you know, be in the forms. The narrative is like mother, father. There's no mother or parent or donor. There's nothing like that. And it's things like that. And then when the bump starts to grow, you go to mother care or you go to wherever. And the T-shirts are sort of V-line necks and or they're very, you know, tugging at the boobs and and the jeans. There's no butch wear for pregnant women. There's no shirts, you know, shirts sat over me and I looked like I had a beer belly and it just looked ridiculous (laughs) and then obviously as it grew you then had the baby books that then had you know mummy and daddy did this today and then the books you know we have we're lucky in that we've I shouldn't shouldn't even say lucky it sounds like I'm grateful but you know I have books Mm. that we read to Thomas you know I sometimes purposefully go mummy and mama so it's never really stopped and certainly and as brands have been more inclusive to LGBT people which again I'm, I'm grateful for I'm still not seen in as a short-haired masculine woman so it's never really stopped but certainly when I was pregnant that idea of femininity certainly got challenged in my head because I wasn't feminine Mm. but but being pregnant and and breastfeeding and everything like that is very much a feminine maternal thing so it was a lot of conflict going on in my head people looked at me and they thought Oh my God, the man's pregnant. And all they all kids would be like, Are you a mummy or a daddy? And I'm like, Well, I'm a mummy, but I, I appreciate I've got short hair. And it's just, yeah, it's just everything. Wow. It's just constant. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's just, you just hope that by being visible and, and a blatant lesbian, you are hopefully, even though you're coming out to people almost every day, you're hopefully that visibility is educating someone somewhere that maybe they go home and go, oh, I saw a pregnant lesbian today, Barry. And it just gets that conversation <laughs> going, hopefully. You just don't know who 
they yeah you know what you know what I mean it's just you just hope that they have a conversation and yeah so you have both developed your own communities and are comfortable with your identities now for any new mums who are like where am I in this strange new mum world um can you recommend any like resources or anyone to follow or just any really great spaces that mums who do not feel seen need to go and check out yeah I mean if it's just a case of wanting to see yourself represented there's a lovely Instagram page called same sex families and they're a global page I think the owner is based in the UK but they have all sorts of families really diverse and they obviously celebrate lots of different things like you know trans awareness week and um, black history month and things like that Um, but other than that resources wise obviously I'd look at you know Stonewall we are lucky that we're in an age now that we have access to this information where even when Thomas was born and that was five years ago I didn't have that so it's growing which I'm grateful for. Candice how about you what resources Instagram pages anything else would you recommend to mums? Of course make motherhood diverse. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's American but if you're a black mum like looking for your tribe Matamia I think they're called. Um, There's a great book actually called Julian is a Mermaid. It's very (gasps) beautiful. Yes (sighs) and now okay correct you might know more than me but from my (laughs) eye reading that book to my daughter being in heterosexual relationship it really is just this quiet story about a boy perhaps exploring the idea of being trans or wanting to dress up in what would be determined as women's clothes and it's so beautifully told and opens up such wonderful natural conversation also Lupita the actress wrote a book called Solway which really touched me because it's a story about colorism within the black community which if I had that read to me when I was about four or five it would have really helped me understand some of the challenges which were really just around the corner in regards to the terms of how dark my skin is as a black person because there is still that in our community you're not just black you're like light-skinned or dark-skinned and I find for Esme who is lighter than me she's really taken to that book so I I love those. When you're kind of raising your children, um, do you feel kind of a responsibility to shape their identity or give them, I guess, options, you know, kind of to kind of feed them with like a rich Mm. um, variety of content and books so that they can kind of explore themselves? Absolutely. I think I'd be doing him a disservice if I didn't open his eyes to make sure that he had this information, this knowledge in front of him and he go out there and get it. But yeah, I think I'd be doing him a disservice if I didn't do and my community a disservice if I didn't sort of and again I don't want to say like I'm educating him but just making him aware that this is what our community has been through and what's out there and who's out there Um, and equally I wouldn't be a very good ally to other communities if I didn't have those books you know like Julian is a mermaid and like things like that on his bookshelves because why should I expect allies of our community if I'm not going to be an ally to other communities either. Obviously, this week we are talking about motherhood and identity, how our identity pre-motherhood shapes what we're like as mums, how our identity changes when we become mums. And we've been hearing from loads of our listeners about what identity means to them. And we wanted to play one for you both now. So this is from someone who sent it in called Rebecca. Thank you so much for sending this in, Rebecca. It's really lovely. 
So something that I wish I'd known is it comes back. That part of you, for a lot of people, disappears and you lose sight of when you've got a very young child. It comes back. And I wish that I'd been told that it does go and it does come back because then perhaps I would have found the first two years easier. How do you feel hearing that? So she obviously touched on the fact that you can lose yourself when you become a mum, but don't panic, all is not lost. And I thought it was a nice note to kind of touch on towards the end of our podcast to ask you both, where are you on on that journey? Where are you at? Kate, do you feel like you've refound yourself or is it still a work in progress? I am in a better place than I was perhaps even maybe a year ago um, because I felt like you couldn't be both a mum, a wife, a gamer, a comic book lover. You know, you couldn't be all those things at once. Something had to give. And while some things did have to give, you couldn't do it all. But, you know, as some people say, I've been selfish and I've gone, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take an hour to myself because I'm my mental health is important as well. Um, and I think, yeah, if I'd been told that that is allowed and actually you are still you, it's just got to take a bit of a time out whilst you settle into your own routine, then I probably would have been and felt more reassured and probably not in such a rush to try and then get back there, if that makes sense. Because I felt like everything was taken, being taken forcefully away from me. I was then trying to fight against that. And then I felt like I'd missed some opportunities or missed some milestones whilst I was trying to battle with my own identity and where I sat in that. Yeah, I love that. How about you, Candice? Where are you on the journey? Have you have you found the true Candice again? <laughs> I haven't found myself again. It's just a new self. And to be honest, I'm not embarrassed of the woman I was before my kids, but I see them as really separate entities because there are just some risks now or things I did back then that I just wouldn't do now mm. because I have a responsibility to another two humans here. And actually, I prefer this version She's more measured. She's calmer. You know, I can't just react out of anger because I have to think of the repercussions on my children or the work I do. I have to think of my children. It's a different person. I think I've only come to that realisation now there's two of them and I have experiences that can be compared I think with Esme, I was very obsessed pre-baby body, pre-baby life, pre-baby social calendar. Mm. And it was, you know, everything was geared towards people understanding that I'm Candice before I'm a mum. Whereas now I'm just like just a completely different person, to be fair. It's so interesting to have those both your experiences. Thank you for sharing them. So at the end of each podcast, we ask our guests the same question. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna come first to you, Candice. What makes you uncomfortable? It can be anything. So it can be we've had like pantomimes, we've had <laughs> small talk, we've had some deep ones, we had emotional <gasps> vulnerability. You know what makes me oh, do you know what makes me uncomfortable? Going to like dinner parties or house parties. I hate small talk, I hate getting to know people. Oh <laughs> <laughs> just hang out so- in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically going to parties or dinner parties when you don't know many people there. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah that makes me so uncomfortable, yeah. And what about you, Kate? <gasps> oh, no, I'm trying to think whether I want to say something profound, like tokenism or something like that, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm thinking it's like, it's it's team-building days at work, you know, where you're... Oh or or do you, t- I think to just unnecessarily 
like be touched like team building days where you then have to put your hands on each other's shoulders and I don't want to touch you like I have OCD anyway and I don't like it I think it's that contact and um team building days especially <laughs> if you then have to touch someone whether you know them or not yeah touching but uh, yeah <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming onto the podcast today. Oh, thank you for inviting this has been me. Such a great conversation. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. That's it this week from Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Don't forget to subscribe and review, but only nice reviews, five stars only. I'm Rachel Moss, and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll, and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. Thanks to our producer, Crystal Genesis, our assistant producer, Rachel Porter, and our sound engineer, Nag Karinde. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Our hashtag is AIMYU. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.